Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. I hope you all have had a great weekend, and we've got a great show for you today. Great episode talking about some preseason football, the AP preseason poll. It just came out, and there's news between an alliance between three major conferences, preseason football as well. The first week is under the books, who has impressed, who has not. Then every year annually, the NFL reveals their top 100 players, revealed by players themselves. So yesterday, the list of 41 to 100 were revealed, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. Also, a shocking trade made in the NBA, and then I'll finish up with some MLB. So let's get right into this, starting with the college football AP preseason poll. Looks similar uh, to the coaches poll, uh, except a few changes uh, were made. The first being Oklahoma and Clemson are switched. Oklahoma is now the number two team uh, in the AP poll. In the coaches poll, they were the three team. But the rest are the same, Ohio State 4, Georgia 5. And I like this a lot more. If you've listened to my previous podcast, you know that I am high on Oklahoma. I am high on uh, Spencer Radler, at quarterback, returning another year under his belt. A fairly easy schedule. Iowa State will be the diff- most difficult test for them. And they're sitting there at 7. And I think this will be a great, great team. I think Alabama will still be great. They recruit great. So those, to me, I think are really the two best teams in the nation. I see Clemson uh, taking a step back. I see Ohio State taking a step back. Uh, Georgia, to me, is always a really good team who just cannot get over the hump. So Oklahoma, Alabama, Bryce Young at quarterback, two very talented quarterbacks, I think are going to do well. They deserve to be number two in the rest, round out the top five. So you have two SEC teams in the top five, and then one of the other respective conferences. Then you get six through ten, and you still have a little changeup. Texas A&M has stayed the same. Uh, Iowa State is there at seven. They were eight in the coaches. Cincinnati at eight now. They were ten in the coaches. Notre Dame at nine. They dropped a little bit from the coaches. And North Carolina at ten dropped one. I like Texas A&M. I don't know how good they'll be. Uh, I expect their defense to be improved uh, this year. However, Kellen Mond is no longer there. He was uh, the longtime starter there with Texas A&M, with Jimbo Fisher. How will they respond after only losing one game last year to Alabama and wanting to be in a playoff spot? Iowa State, who was really good last year as well, uh, fought Oklahoma very tough. Matt Campbell is still there as coach. think that will be a great team. Cincinnati is another uh, good team of the AAC. Uh, Notre Dame always makes a run. In North Carolina, they're expecting to be really good. I don't know if I agree with North Carolina uh, being that high. So in your top 10, you have two ACC schools, the Independent and Notre Dame. You've got three SEC, one Big 10, and two Big 12. No Pac-12 so far until we get to the ladder, and I'll just recap 11 
to 25. You do see Oregon there at 11, Wisconsin at 12, Florida at 13. No more Kyle Trask, no more Kyle Pitts. I don't expect a stellar year from the Florida offense. Miami are at 14, USC at 15. LSU at 16 should be much improved than they were last year. Indiana's made runs. Iowa, Penn State are all right there as well in the Big Ten. Washington uh, as well for the Pac-12. Texas, Coastal Carolina, Lafayette, Utah, and ASU. What am I seeing here? What are my initial reaction to this top 25? One is that the Big Ten is very underrated. And I get why last year was not a good year for the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. Uh, Wisconsin was all right. Uh, Indiana had a few losses. Iowa as well had quite a few losses. Penn State was surprisingly uh, terrible. I believe they started out 0-3, 0-4 or something like that. They didn't start off well. You know, Michigan is not even ranked. Northwestern had a good year last year. They are not ranked as well. So to me, there's really no love uh, for this Big Ten team. And when you look at their teams last year, uh, if you are evaluating this as kind of a final, you know, from last year, then I get it. But this is a preseason poll, so we're projecting. And I think Michigan will finish a top 25 team. I wouldn't sleep on Penn State as well. I think they'll be top 15. Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern, I think, will battle it out on the other side of the Big Ten as well. So the Big Ten is very underrated this year. The only respect is for Ohio State. And for good reason, too. Uh, they have a great team, a great quarterback coming in, and C.J. Stroud. Uh, so all the hype is on them, which is good for these other teams because they can sneak under the radar and say, hey, don't forget about us. We've been here before. Of course, the SEC gets the most love. Still, to me, that is the deepest conference here. And I see the Alabama matchup, Texas A&M. Georgia, Florida, LSU. So to me, again, a very deep and good division. See how that goes. Uh, Clemson in Miami and North Carolina, see how that is. Uh, Pac-12, I don't see it being a battle between Oregon and Washington as kind of the top two teams. I think Washington's going to falter. They have a big game. The second week against Michigan, USC is right there. They'll be playing Utah and Arizona State. So to me, that side's a little tougher of a Pac-12 South. I'm pulling for ASU to get out of there. They lost quite a few close games last year, but Utah is always formidable. USC as well, always recruits well. So there's, I think college football is going to be in for a great year this year. I think this is going to be the best college football season in a long time because we don't have uh, the Trevor Lawrence annual show. We don't have the Justin Fields show, Alabama. Their kind of core is gone. No more Atua, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, uh, any of those guys. So those are new guys. Oklahoma has Spencer Radler, of course. So we'll see how he progresses being a great quarterback. But it's going to be a lot of new faces on the scene which I think is good for college football, should be a lot of um, mix-up as well. And there is just great games 
to start off the season to see where everybody is at. You have opening night Thursday, Ohio State at Minnesota. Uh, Will Minnesota and P.J. Fleck rebound this year to where they were at a couple years ago? Opening day on Saturday, you've got Penn State and Wisconsin. A big game already in the Big Ten, 12 versus 19. Alabama, Alabama, Miami, 1 versus 14. Indiana, Iowa, another big, Big Ten game, 17 and 18. Louisiana at 23, plays Texas, 21. Georgia and Clemson, a top five matchup already, a 5 and 3. And then Sunday night, Notre Dame and Florida State. So I think college football is bracing up for a huge game, huge season. And that takes me to my point of the alliance uh, between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And this is revolved around scheduling. And the SEC is about to have their 16-team conference in a few years with Texas and Oklahoma joining. You have other teams kind of battling it out. So this would be a scheduling alliance right now. Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC play nine conference games, three non-conference. To me, it would make sense for them to schedule opponents uh, between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC. So hypothetically speaking, for example, I think this would be great for college football and the most entertaining if they make an alliance. I think it should be you play your school 10 times, so Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, all play um, now a 10-game conference schedule, and then two games would be Pac-12 and ACC. For example, if Pac-12 winner was Oregon, if the Big Ten winner was Ohio State, if the ACC winner was Clemson, in your two non-conference games, Ohio State would play Clemson. Ohio State would play Oregon. Oregon would play Ohio State. Oregon would be play Clemson. Clemson would play Ohio State. Clemson would play Oregon. To me, that makes the most sense. You schedule it out from there. But I think that would be the most entertaining would be that. Uh, having kind of like an ACC Big Ten Challenge that represents... The best of the best, of course, that helps the schedule out as well because when you look at the schedule, you're comparing them as a committee at the end of the year. You see uh, that, hey, there was no weak link at the beginning of the schedule at that time in place. This was a really tough game. One of the teams could have faltered at that, but when you're looking at it in perspective, uh, that was a marquee matchup. There is no kind of weak games or a weak losses if you lose and the other team wins out. It makes for a good season between them. Of course, if that leaves the Big 12 out, then now they only have eight teams. You know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, who knows what happens to them if they get absorbed by Pac-12, Big 10, or ACC or stay on their own. But again, I think that would help if they're being absolved in a 12-team playoff or something like that, that would benefit kind of everybody, the AAC and the Mountain West and other conferences, you know, that might have a good team like Boise State, 
Coastal Carolina. And if they have a good season, UCF, that rewards them for being in. But right now, until that happens, and if this alliance does happen, to me, the four playoff teams should be the winner of the Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, and SEC, the champions from those divisions, especially if the alliance is formed. Uh, that, to me, would seem like the most fair and logical way to then do that. Now moving on to the NFL and preseason football. Week one of preseason is under the books. It's in the books. What did I see? What can I glean? Well, firstly, the Lions are not good. Uh, They're just not. Their defense, to me, is terrible. It was nice to see uh, Reynolds. uh, I believe it's Craig Reynolds. I mean, I don't know. His teammates really didn't even know him until he entered the game, and he scored that touchdown, and he said he was signed the day before, so that was a great story. But again, this Lions team is not good. Uh, They were down 13-3. Mounted a comeback to actually take the lead with a minute and a half left. And then they let the Buffalo Bills kind of stomp down the field uh, for the last uh, second field goal to win the game. And I think the Lions are going to be terrible this year. I've said this on multiple occasions. I see them as a two or three team win uh, caliber team. They're just not good. And to me, this that one preseason game could epitomize uh, most of their season where they could have games where they will win. But I think this defense is going to be so porous, this atrocious, uh, to where they be giving up uh, game-winning drives uh, in the final two minutes. That's how bad I see this Lions defense doing. They can't uh, pass cover. They can't rush. Uh, they can't play zone. I mean, they can't do anything right on defense, and it's going to haunt the Lions all season long. The other game was the Cowboys and Cardinals. Matt Prater, to me, is just Captain Clutch. Clutch again, yes, I know it's a preseason game, but this just sums up who Matt Prater has been his entire career. 47-yard field goal to walk it off against the Cowboys. No greater feeling than that for Matt Prater, who's had a variety of game-winning Clutch field goals with the Denver Broncos, with the Detroit Lions, and now he started off his first preseason game the same way. He is just very reliable from that range. You know, the upper 40, low 50 is just in his wheelhouse, an excellent leg. And to me, this is a huge pickup for the Cardinals because when you're in close games, a field goal can make a difference. We saw the Cardinals lose a couple games last year because of their poor kicker and Zane Gonzalez, who they moved on from. And now they have Matt Prater uh, to do some damage. So, again, it was kind of a field goal night. Matt Prater made all four of his. And I think the Cardinals will not regret that signing as well. That could be their best signing, actually, of free agency, trumping J.J. Watt, depending on his health. Then open up Saturday morning, and you had Justin Fields looking 
at least to me, uh, like a star. I've never been high on Andy Dalton. He had his moments early with the Broncos, but then, uh, or my, my bad, with the Cincinnati Bengals, but then it got to a point where he just couldn't win and wasn't himself anymore. And to me, he's just a full-time backup now. He was a backup last year to Dak. Uh, the Bears guaranteed him a starting job, which I think uh, was wrong. And to me, he is not the starter. Uh, we saw the Bears down 13-0 to uh, to the Dolphins. Tua Tagovailoa looked all right. Nothing special to me I saw out of Tua in progression so far, which is worrisome since he is the main starter now. But Justin Fields came on. Of course, his first NFL action uh, struggled his first series, but then kind of you know kicked it off, led the comeback where they were down thirteen to zero, and got it to where they were then up seventeen to thirteen. Uh, so when Nick Foles came in uh, to finish up the game in the fourth quarter, they kicked a field goal to make it twenty to thirteen. But Jimmy Justin Fields uh, looks NFL ready, uh, has kind of the play action. Ability, which I like because they respect him running the football and the run game more with him. I saw him take off on his legs and make decisions and was accurate uh, throwing the football. 14 of 20, 142 yards and a touchdown. Very solid uh, stat line uh, from him. I think it was excellent uh, to see him. He also added an 8-yard touchdown run, so he was accountable for two touchdowns. And the team just seemed better uh, when he was in quarterback. Uh, play calling seemed more relaxed. They ran an excellent sort of boot route uh, option that everybody was shifting to the right, left a tight end wide open. On the left side, Justin Fields with an accurate throw. And his playmaking ability, I think, will help this team better than Mitch Trubisky, I think, uh, better than Andy Dalton right now in his stage of his career and Nick Foles. As well, Justin Fields gives the Bears the best chance to win with a good defense that they have with a competitive division and conference where they could sneak in to that last playoff spot. I think Justin Fields would be the right play. I think that would be the play that makes sense for the Bears moving forward if they want to compete in playoff games and playoff moments. So to me, he was a rookie standout. Well, what other rookies were there? You had Trey Lance. To me, he threw an amazing, accurate touchdown pass. It was an 80-yard touchdown pass. I know the airtime wasn't 80 yards. But to him, uh, other than that, he didn't look good. 5 of 14, uh, 128 yards. You take out that. 80-yard pass and completion, you know, that's 4 of 13 and only uh, like 48 yards and no touchdown. Uh, So, again, that wasn't good. He still needs more time uh, to develop uh, for sure. Kansas City won that game in sort of the Super Bowl rematch in the preseason uh, mode. But, again, no starters were really played on both sides of the football other than uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who played uh, the opening few snaps, to me looked good, 3-for-3, three three, uh, 26 yards. Uh, so we'll see 
how this progresses with Trey Lance. It's good that Jimmy Garoppolo is still the starter. Trey Lance has time to come in, and I think uh, those next two preseason games are really for him to dial in the pressure on Jimmy G. Another big game was the Denver Broncos. I was surprised how well that they looked. I know this defense was good. I said they're being in my top 10. They really didn't start their defensive starters. Again, their quarterback system is Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. So they want to evaluate who they're going to start. And they both uh, looked good. I mean, Drew Locke, 5 of 751 yards at two touchdowns. K.J. Hamler, two receptions, 105 yards and a touchdown. Uh, had a safety in there. I mean, to me, the Broncos look really good. And to me, as a team that Aaron Rodgers is thinking about, come next offseason, that, hey, if they do all right in this division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, I see a top-five defense. I see these receivers make plays in K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy. I see the rushing game do all right with their kind of running back by committee and Crockett and Freeman. Then, hey, then if things don't work out with the Packers, uh, I might be on the move over there. But that was encouraging to see them play really well. Uh, I'm not a fan of con artist Kirk for the Minnesota Vikings, their quarterback. But to me, it looks like they're going to have to stick with con artist Kirk. I was hoping Kellen Mann would come in and do some damage for Minnesota, who they drafted. But to me, he didn't inspire anything that made me want to start him as he was only 6 for 16 and 53 yards. So, again, nothing special from him. Then, another disappointment adding to the Trey Lance was Trevor Lawrence. His debut was in, had a sack right away, a fumble as well, and did not look like the man. 71 yards, uh, six completions. Didn't play much because you want to get other guys, but to me, he didn't look good. Gardner Minshew, the supposed number two, who has said he hasn't taken a number two because number two isn't an option. And he doesn't look like number two. He doesn't look like number one, doesn't look like number three. He looks like number four is what he looks like. A quarterback rating, or a passer rating, my bad, of 28. That is just terrible, Gardner Minshew. That's just bad. C.J. Beathard looked the best. The backup that he has been, to me, looked the best yesterday. Didn't really start James Robinson, Travis Etienne. I didn't play much as well. Marvin Jones is an excellent wide receiver. He had a few reps in there. I think he'll always be reliable in there for whatever quarterback starts. But Urban Meyer and his sort of debut there in the Jacksonville preseason game didn't open up to strong reviews with a big Cleveland win, 23-13, to with actually the Cleveland backup putting on a show, and as actually the third string, and uh, Kyle Loletta, I believe is his name, passing for 212 yards, uh, which was big for him to stay on this roster. 
in yet another quarterback situation and rookie as well. You had the New Orleans Saints and the Baltimore Ravens. New or, or the Baltimore Ravens were on a 17 straight preseason win. I thought you know this could be the time that they lose you know the preseason goat. Uh, John Harbaugh, this has been talked about. You know, they'll just lose this game. The Saints were up 14-9, to and they could not finish the deal. Uh, turnovers uh, by both uh, quarterbacks were not good at the supposed ones. Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, to me, did not uh, look sharp. Taysom Hill with an interception. Uh, Jameis Winston with both interceptions. He had a touchdown. Uh, Taysom Hill, his team fumbled the ball down there, so they had around six turnovers total. Ian Book had a turnover, but to me, he looked more poised. And the backfield coming out of Notre Dame was great there. I think he's going to ramp up this quarterback competition because to me, Taysom Hill, not a true quarterback. Jameis Winston is obviously not the guy anymore since I believe he's entering his seventh or eighth year in the league now. That's hard to believe at this point. So Ian Book, to me, is kind of the next one. All very surprising. So that's preseason football. That is week two, or week one, underway. Week two starts this week, and we'll see what more action we can glean starting Thursday. But to me, Justin Fields so far has been the top rookie quarterback we have seen. Now, every year, NFL, their players, players in the NFL, rate their own players in the NFL. So players make their own sort of player hierarchy. And it's revealed on the NFL Network, their top 100 players. So they do it in two bunches, or three bunches, my bad, uh, from 100 all the way down to 1. Yesterday revealed was 100 down to 41. Uh, next week will be a 40 down to 10 or to 11, and then the top 10 the week after that. So yesterday we saw around 60 players in the 100 that were ranked. So I am just going to go a quick recap of things that I've noticed uh, that I saw uh, as well in terms of who so I think should be higher, why is he this low, you know, what is going on. So, they came out with a list. James Robinson was right there at 100. Fine with that. He debuted. He was good last year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I had no problem with that. It was nice to see Kyle Juszczyk, 97. He's a fullback. You usually don't see much love for fullbacks in there, but Kyle Juszczyk is the cream of a crop here at 97, who is an excellent blocker, can run a little bit as well, and can make plays uh, in the passing game. So I thought that was good. Cole Beasley at 96 I thought was extremely low. Uh, You just had a guy almost... uh, Get a thousand receiving yards is the best uh, slot wide receiver in the game this past year. If we're just going on this past year, so to me, him being there at ninety six 
was extremely low when you have wide receivers ahead of him, uh, like uh, Jarvis Landry and Corey Davis, who were good, but to me, uh, there were ones who were better. So that was surprising. Uh, Tredavious White, as well, right down there at 95, is a top playmaking quarterback, a cornerback. I know his he's decreased uh, last year, but still... Uh, 238 tackles, 54 pass deflections, 15 interceptions in the past few years has been great. Cornerbacks or quarterbacks don't throw his way. So again, I think that is way too low. I'm fine with, uh, you know, other cornerbacks on that list, but especially kind of the Marshawn Lattimore for the Saints, who's a cornerback that's higher for him at 86. Don't think that is right or is fair at all. Other standouts, it's nice to see the Detroit Lions have TJ Hawkinson, one of, if only, the only top 100 player that they will have, and he did have a decent year last year. Corey Davis at 91, got a big contract from the Jets, was great last year with the Titans, but I think most of that is because he had Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, uh, so he's really nothing special. What else is on this list? Shaq Barrett at 88. We saw him wreak havoc and play so well last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How is he in AD8? I just don't see it uh, at all. It, to me, it doesn't make sense. To me, he should be higher. Uh, then, you know, the Ryan Tannehill at 83, you know, with Jeffrey Simmons of the Titans at 78. Uh, he's a feared pass rusher. Ed rushers to me are more than sort of the other positions in the NFL. And to me, is very surprising that that happened. You had Quandre Diggs there at 77. Tyler Lockett at 76. To me, Good moves, smart. It's good that they're there. I respect uh, but kind of duo on offense right there. Michael Thomas at 72. This is an enigma since we're going just strictly based on last year. I see that it makes sense because before it, he was a top player in the NFL, leading the league in receptions and yards. But, of course, with his injuries, he has taken a massive hit. Right above him is Baker Mayfield at 71. Uh, returning to the list, I think it's good Baker's there that, yes, last year was his best year. So to me, it does make sense. And he should be on this list. I'm interested to see what other quarterbacks are higher than the 41 spot on this list. But he deserves his respect. J.J. Watt, 66. Uh, again, one of the premier uh, pass rushers in this league for a long time. Uh, big defensive player, been defensive player of a year. Uh, I think at 66, again, that's fair considering where he is in his stage in his career and kind of the age and attrition that he's dealt with, so I'm fine with him being there because Chase Young is ahead of him at 61, and he's been 
uh, force to be reckoned with this past year and to me will only get better. Then to close out number 60 to 41, again, like I said, you had Jason P. Air Paul there at 59, Shaq Barrett at 88. To me, I truly believe Shaq Barrett is better than Jason Pierre-Paul on that team and the scheme and what it means. Uh, so to me, that is very strange to see JPP that much higher than Shaq Barrett. Tyran Matthew Barrett is at 58. I believe Minka Fitzpatrick's a better safety uh, there at 52. George Kittle is 50. That is terrible. Uh, number seven last year, number 50 this year. Yes, he appeared in eight games. Uh, you know, he was on pace for a great season last year. And to me, just because he had injuries to me, how much he means to that team, how much he played well in the games that he did play in, uh, to drop that much uh, is insane that, you know, the players in the NFL don't value uh, players that kind of are injured. But to me, I had him in my top 10 of most impactful players and to see him here at 50 uh, with players uh, like Cameron Jordan ahead of him, Mike Evans, you know, is very surprising to me. Then you have Justin Simmons on this list, who to me is the best safety and many people view as the best safety sitting there at 45. I really hope nobody, but I don't see any other safety on this list Ahead of Justin Simmons, I get Minka Fitzpatrick below him. Tyron Matthew, I do not want to see Buda Baker or anybody higher than Justin Simmons on this list because that would be shameful at that point by the players in the NFL. Jair Alexander is right there at 41. He's above the Stephon Gilmore's of the J.C. Jacksons, which I believe is correct. I only want to see, you know, Xavier Howard or... Uh, Jalen Ramsey ahead of him. To me, that's it. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they fill out the next few players. Of course, to me, quarterbacks are the ones who are valued the most. So we're going to see more quarterbacks be revealed in the next couple ones. But those are just a few of my reactions to the list that came out. Now moving on to the NBA. And the NBA trade that occurred between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Los Angeles Clippers traded two of their three-point guards, Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Oturu, to the Memphis Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. I, my mind could not be wrapped around this trade. I get that it saves money for the Clippers, but if you're the Clippers... Shouldn't you be going all in? Shouldn't you, you know, team that just lost in the conference championship be a team that was on the brink and wants to win a championship? Because to me, this was not a championship move. It was surprising that they made this move. I know Patrick Beverly is not a world beater at all. Uh, he's not somebody you look at and say, hey, this guy's great, you know, Especially offensively, seven and a half points, uh, you know, two assists and three rebounds. Again, 
nothing great last year, but his defensive ability, his hustle is what helps this team. And to me, they will miss that, miss his emotional leadership as well if they are contending and not to have him. Because you bring in Eric Bledsoe, who is clearly on the decline. Um, he had great years early uh, with the Suns, averaging around 20 points uh, with them. Then, you know, he went to Milwaukee, got traded there, and he could never click with Giannis. Points per game dropping, you know, from that 20 uh, down to 17, down to 15. Down to 14, and then last year, as I said, didn't uh, fit well with Giannis, so they traded him for Drew Holiday. And with the Pelicans last year, he only averaged 12 points per game, uh, 3 assists, and 3 rebounds. So again, is not a world beater, isn't great defensively uh, like Patrick Beverly is. So to me, it's just interesting to see this trade be made, because I know Kawhi is injured. He's not really coming back this year. So do they really think that they're going to compete this year? Or are they waiting, uh, you know, clear up their books or cap room and maybe try to sign another free agent when he's healthy? But, you know, that's wasting a year right there. That's Paul George another year later, Kawhi Leonard another year later. Who knows will be on the market and what happens then? But to me, this was an interesting move for a team with championship aspirations. Uh, Because to me, Eric Bledsoe is not the man. Reggie Jackson played great last year, career year. But can you expect that out of him again this year? Uh, Again, very strange for them to do that. But we'll see. How it goes, I don't think Bledsoe back there will help them do anything. And I think this will be good for the Grizzlies. Have more of that toughness, that grip. They have John Morant. They have Grayson Allen, uh, Dylan Brooks, Young Core, Adam Patrick Beverly, Nurjan Rondo, some veterans. All these contracts are guaranteed, so they're most likely uh, to trade some players. Uh, but I think they know what they're doing, and have made some trades uh, to help this team out. Again, just really shocked by what the Clippers are doing right now. So, but on another side note, I will say it is nice to see Patrick Beverly leave the Clippers. This man who reportedly got on a table... When the trade was announced that Paul George is coming here, Kawhi is signing, jumped up on a table and said, I just won a championship. He also said to Steph Curry, I'm glad you had the last five years, but the next five are mine. And then Steph Curry replied saying, Bro, aren't you 31? So to me, it is just laughable because Patrick Beverly guaranteed a championship and he never got one. Never did. Blew a 3-1 series lead. 
to the Nuggets in the bubble. Last year couldn't get over the hump. Yes, Kawhi was injured, but they could not do it. Could not do it last year. So Patrick Beverly, good riddance. I'm excited to see you not play LeBron. You're an annoying player, uh, and I'm happy that I don't get to see you as often uh, this year. And I'm sure a lot of teams feel that way. I'm sure Steph Curry feels that way. Devin Booker feels that way in his nose, too, uh, since you collided your head into his face. So, again, his presence is now gone, which I like. And he can go over there in Memphis, where John Morant is the man. Now, moving on to the last topic of MLB. The Angels and the Yankees play tonight. Los Angeles Angels and the New York Yankees. Makeup game. Garrett Cole is back. Finally, from his IL COVID bout, he is pitching tonight on the mound. It's going to be interesting uh, to see how he is being back, see his command, his control out there on the plate or on the mound. But the Yankees have been very good, I believe, lately, is making a postseason run. Aaron Judge is playing great. Joey Gallo is getting better. Odor is reliable, and this team is clicking. But again, as I said, this division is very tough. The AL East, it's going to be tough to get in. A win here would be huge. Garrett Cole back on the mound seeing how he is is another big sign and big news because if he is not the Garrett Cole that we usually see, then I think you can kiss a New York chances goodbye. They need a fully healthy, great vintage Garrett Cole to be in the World Series and be where they believe they should be. Then... The Mets and the Giants play tonight a big NL matchup. The Mets just got done with a series against the Dodgers, which was very tough on them. Now they play the best team in San Francisco in the Giants. And then after that, they play the Dodgers again in a four-game stretch in L.A. Then they come back to New York and then play the Giants again. So a very brutal stretch for the New York Mets, who once had a command on this division could very much, very much be out of the race by the time this stretch is over between the Dodgers and the Giants. Right now they're two and a half games back. They very soon, you know, could be six games back uh, with Lindor still rehabbing with DeGrom on the IL. This could all spell very bad news for the New York Mets. Then... You had the return of Fernando Tatis. Two home runs in right field yesterday. Looked great. I mean, I think he had a little chip on his shoulder. You know, it goes from uh, him being a front runner for the NL MVP. How great he is. He's injured for, you know, close to a month. And Bryce Harper... Picks it up, plays amazing, and now he's the NL MVP favorite. Fernando Tatis just puts the league back again 
on notice and how great that he is, how fantastic his season has been, that even the stents on the injured list really don't mean much. He comes back and just does his thing. That's how great Tatis has been all year. That's how much he means to this Padres team uh, who have been really subpar without him. They need him and is that spark, I think, uh, to make a run, which would be a very, very tough run, as I was mentioning uh, yesterday, that, you know, right now the wild card game would be between the Dodgers and the Padres, a winner-take-all game, most likely a Max Scherzer versus a Blake Snell or you Darvish. If Mookie Betts comes back, if not Mookie versus Tatis, what a match if this would be. Manny Machado as well doesn't like Mookie Betts. I mean, the storylines galore for a one-game series. And then the winner would have to play the San Francisco Giants, the best team in baseball. I mean, I think the final uh, six weeks of baseball, this final stretch, is going to be very fun. I think with the fans in the stands, baseball uh, playoffs, the postseason, will be great, energetic, fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it, and we are blessed uh, with the sports that are on with the NFL back, even though it's preseason the regular season is coming here soon. College football is soon. Big moves happening in the NBA, setting up for the season only in a couple months. And then baseball in the home stretch of a regular season right now. So a lot to watch and a lot to enjoy. This has been Get Your Goat, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.